Good morning, everyone. Holly's going to share first, so uh, we're just getting organized. Just wanted to share a little bit of um, my story and um, how I came to know the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Um, when I was 14, I had known Jesus already for all my life, really. Um, and he was my best friend, and we used to do a lot of things to get, like, everything together. And I would hitchhike all over the place. You can't do that anymore, but back in the day, it was okay to hitchhike. And I used to hitchhike all over, and God just gave me amazing opportunities. But when I was 14, I sort of was adopted into a, a Plymouth Brethren family in PEI. And Plymouth Brethren sort of, they believe, they are really big on the Bible, and I learned a lot of scripture. There's a lot of scripture in me. I thought, how in the world did that get there? It's because of hanging out with them, and we'd have the the tapes of the Bible playing 24-7, literally, and it just, my spirit just absorbed so much. But they didn't believe that Jesus still did things today like he did back in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit had come, he'd given the word of God, and that was the end of all the miracles and signs and wonders. And so here I was in their backyard, and it was 1972, so you can tell how old I am, and the green Living New Testament, or yeah, I guess Living New Testament had just come out, or the Living Bible, and it was a lime green color, and that was my color, and Bibles were always black and boring, and this was lime green, and it was the 70s, and this was awesome, and it was like the whole Bible just became brand new, because it was in everyday kind of language, and I just ate that thing up, and so there I was this one day out in their field, and all of a sudden, I just totally just blew up, kind of. Like, it was like totally in love with Jesus. I was singing and dancing and just going all over the place. And the joy that I had was amazing. I just, like, I couldn't understand it. And from that point on, I kind of ended up rewriting all the songs on the radio to be Jesus songs. Um, and I was just madly in love with the Lord. And then I started noticing funny little things like, wow, what I just said. Like I'd be talking to someone or I'd get up to sing and I'd share a little bit before. But the words that came out of my mouth were so profound. I thought, whoa, that's really amazing. I should pay attention to that. <laughs> it's like, where's all this stuff coming from? And then I started knowing things. Like I had a, a girl come to me um, to introduce her friend to me when we were at Acadia, so I might have been 18 or 19 at the time, and um, she said, oh, Holly, this is my friend. I said, oh, yeah, you're you're the one who's getting married, right? And she looked at me, and her eyes bugged out of her head. She said, how, how do you know that? I'd never met her before. I said, oh, sorry, aren't you? She goes, well, yeah, I am, but it just happened. Like, how do you know that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so there were all these funny little things that would happen. Like, I would know things. You couldn't surprise me because I already knew. It's like, what is going on? And so then fast forward about 20 years, and we're in our first parish, and we had a wonderful woman, Mary Goddard, come from B.C. and teach us about the gift of tongues and, and the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so all of our parishioners started getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they had this amazing explosion of joy, and they were laughing and just being so happy. And, and I got really good teaching from her, and it really answered all my questions, and it sort of qualmed all the fears. Like if I ever thought, oh, is this really you, God, or not? Because I could speak in tongues, but I was afraid to speak in tongues because what if I was swearing? <laughs> that was my big fear. <laughs> what if I'm swearing at God? <laughs> and it was like she just sort of put all that stuff to rest with scripture, which was very important. And so I said, well, God, how come I'm not having this experience that everybody else is having? And he said, Holly, do you remember when you were 14 in the field out in PEI? I said, yeah. He said, that's when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you did have this experience. I thought, whoa, that answered so many questions. But here I was, a little Baptist kid, very involved in the Baptist church, with my Plymouth Brethren family that does not believe in this, and the only other experience I had outside of that was my Roman Catholic from Italy grandmother, and she sure didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And so I had no teaching, and I had no idea what it was. But the Lord just in his wonderful, gentle way, came and gave me this amazing gift that I really did want, but didn't know how to go about it. But in his generosity and in his love, 
he gave me this wonderful gift. And I fell so in love with Jesus that everything, that was all that really mattered. That was all that mattered. And it didn't matter what he asked me to do if I knew it was the Lord then the answer was yes, because I knew I could trust him. So we've had some amazing adventures together, Jesus and I, and he meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. And that is the amazing thing about him. So I hope that you'll come this week and hear a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and, and how he wants to be part of your lives. And this morning I would like to share this one song called Give Me Jesus, because it kind of wraps it all up for me, that no matter... What there is out there, what you do or don't have, the most important thing in life is Jesus. Actually, you might know this, and if you want to join me on the course, you can. I don't have words for you, but it's pretty simple. In the morning, when I rise, Wipe the sleep out of my eyes. Let this day bring love surprise. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Nothing else will set me free. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all. Pure and holy, righteous too. Let your light shine bright and true, just like Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me your table when I dine and my life is one with thine in the bread and in the wine give me Jesus join me give me Jesus give me Jesus you can have all this world Give me Jesus. When my work on earth is done and my prize is surely won, let the treasure be the sun. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Jesus, we welcome you here. Come and fill this place. Come and fill this place with your presence, your love.
that each one of us would experience you in a very fresh and new and deeper way. Cause a hunger to stir in our hearts, Lord. It's a funny thing. God responds to spiritual hunger. Make us hungry for you, Lord. Make us desperate for you. We can't do that on our own. We need your help, Lord, to stir in our hearts a desire for you. It really is all about you. Jesus, you said, I'm the vine, you the branches. He or she that abides in me and I in them produce much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So we're utterly dependent upon you, Jesus, that you would come by your Spirit, that you would glorify the Father. So we pray the prayer of Jesus. Father, your name will be hallowed and esteemed and cherished and honored and blessed in this place, in our lives. Your kingdom is coming. Your hopes and dreams and desires for us, your will is coming forth in each of our lives and in this church, in this family here. So as John the Baptist prayed, Lord, may you increase. May we decrease. That you would reign in our lives, reign in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Are you okay to settle into God's presence a little bit more? Yeah. Lord, we welcome you. Come. Some of you might like to stand. Some of you might like to kneel. However it is that you can really get in touch with the Lord. I could preach a thousand sermons, but when he shows up, and touches his kids. It's amazing. Holly and I spent time in the States. Just still stay in the presence of God. That's more important than anything I have to say, right? We were in the States for a while and, and learned uh, some American stories. And some of you are familiar with the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims coming. And they understood that God would show himself in three different ways, the manifest presence of God that is everywhere, is omnipresent, uh, that no matter where you go, that the Lord is there. Uh, Jesus, uh, well, it says in Hebrews, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. What a wonderful promise. Uh, there's also the presence of the Lord in the hearts of believers. And I quoted that passage from First John, uh, or from John's Gospel, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So there's the abiding presence in the life of a believer, that Jesus comes and dwells within us. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides, is present within us. We're going to explore that this week. Because uh, it's, it's not so much of uh, if, if you have the Holy Spirit, it's how much of the Holy Spirit has of us <laughs> many times as we yield to him. And uh, he manifests his love through us. Then the third is the manifest presence of God, where God sort of lands on us. So to illustrate, uh, when I was in seminary, there was a, a friend that um, 
he uh, was was preaching. We took turns to preach to the seminary community. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his sermon, I felt like liquid love was being poured out on me. How many of you have ever had that, that experience where you just felt the Lord come? You feel peace, you feel love, and, and it's like, I just came undone. I mean, I just wept and wept. He thought, oh my goodness, I'm preaching with such an anointing. <laughs> you know, had nothing to do with him. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Some of these things are very mysterious, aren't they? But uh, uh, the Lord... Uh, showed his love for me in a very, very tangible way. And it really changed my life that I experienced Papa in that way. But it was like this bucket of liquid love being poured out over me. Now, sometimes people make that uh, the norm, to say, unless you've experienced this bucket of liquid love, um, you're not saved or you're not this or that or the other thing. And uh, uh, many times God will pour out in different ways that some, some of us have experienced, some of us will never experience. And that's okay, because he works in our lives in different ways. I'm from Picto, just across the harbor. And I hope you won't hold that against me. But uh, uh, it's great to be in Picto County. Well, uh, there's a story told about this hunter that was out uh, hunting deer. And he fell down a well. And it was getting uh, dark, and he knew that if he didn't get out of that well, he was in trouble because he was soaked. He landed in up to his waist in water, and uh, he would die of exposure. So he started crying out to God. He was sort of a normal guy. He came to church on Christmas and Easter kind of thing. But he said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'm going to uh, quit my job. I'm going to go to Bible school, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And you know what happened? Two minutes later, this guy comes around. How random. Well, God directed this person to come around, fished him out. And he was true to his word. He quit his job, went to Bible school, got ordained, and he pushed people down walls the rest of his life. Because he had this thought, this is how it has to happen. But if you read the Bible, especially the book of Acts, God breaks all the rules. You know, sometimes people get tongues, you know before they have an encounter with Jesus, it seems. And other people, it's a process. It's a gradual thing. So I want to share uh, a bit of my story with you. Uh, and uh, just as an example, I don't know why. Uh, I've never been satisfied with the status quo. I think it's my dad's fault. He was a lawyer in Picto. Some of you may remember that name. Uh, Keith Rodham was my dad, and he was a lawyer there. And uh, did work for people all over the county and that. But um, he had this real heart to know uh, truth and, and to know uh, things around him. And I think that got instilled in me. So I, I've never been happy with the status quo. I've always sort of pushed the envelope. And in fact, in my church, uh, people call me the Panasonic man uh, because, you know, Panasonic, we're just slightly ahead of our time. And so uh, I'm always sort of pushing the envelope, you know, with, with things. So I'll do that a little bit with you folks if I have permission to do that. How do you like this, an Anglican priest coming in and pushing the envelope on things of God for Pentecostals? Now, that's pretty radical, isn't it? But uh, uh, so first of all, I want to respond to that vision that you had, Bruce, on, I guess it was Thursday night, uh, uh, related to the, uh, the fireball that happened when, when the... Uh, that electrical situation. Um, I discovered some time ago that the word uh, picto is a migma word. It's a native uh, term. And it, it means an explosion of gas. And uh, uh, because as, as the first uh, settlers came in, as the native people settled in that area, it's a beautiful area here in Picto County, uh, there was marsh gas. And it smells like sulfur. You know, it's not very pleasant, but there would be sort of these explosions of, of marsh gas. And so uh, that's how it got its name. And so I would joke and say, well, I'm just an old fart from Picto, right? <laughs> so, but then I started learning about spiritual renewal. And uh, one of my heroes is John G. Lake. He was a Canadian. He's the fellow that started the Healing Room. Some of you are familiar with the Healing Room movement that was revived in 1999 in Spokane. Uh, Lake was born in 1870, and he died in 1935. But um, he, he was being trained for the Methodist Church as a pastor in the Methodist ministry. And in that era, 
Uh, if you go to cemeteries, even here in, in, um, in Pitcher County, you'll see a whole lot of children under age 10 or even under age 5 that died. Uh, we, we're very fortunate today in that we have antibiotics and various things, but uh, Lake had, there was a family of 15, and he lost eight of his siblings to infantile diseases and various things. So uh, whenever he saw the, the, uh, the pastor, the funeral director come in, I should say, uh, he knew that uh, he, one, one of his other siblings was going. So he, he grew to hate sickness and, and disease. And one of his favorite sisters uh, was ill, and uh, she heard about the, he heard about this guy in Chicago uh, who had a healing ministry, and uh, so uh, he got her to, this, uh, to Chicago. And uh, they couldn't tell if she was breathing or not. They had to put a mirror up by her nostrils just to see if there's any sense of, of, of breath still. She was that weak. This gentleman prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. That kind of got his attention. And so uh, there was a community that was gathering around, and, and he said, bye-bye, Methodists. You know, Some of you may be Roman Catholic or Anglican or various traditions, and you've experienced something new in the Holy Spirit or whatever, and you said goodbye. How many of you here are from other traditions originally? Yeah, yeah, and that happens. And that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, we're sort of missionaries to the Anglicans. I got saved at, at, at Acadia. That's where I met Holly. But then the Lord wouldn't let me leave the Anglican Church. I thought I was going to be a good Baptist. And there are some good Baptists, you know. They really are. And uh, Holly was on the National Council for the Baptist Federation of Canada. You can't get more Baptist than that. But then the Lord started nudging us back into the Anglican Church. So people are being placed strategically. Uh, there are a number of people from the Philippines here. I have a, a good friend, David Breen, in Vancouver, who's worked with the charismatic renewal in the Philippines. Um, and, and the strategy, because many Filipino uh, folk are going into homes and serving in homes in very wealthy places all around the world. And uh, uh, they're becoming more strategic and prayerful within the Roman Catholic charismatic renewal to see people come to faith uh, in those. And to see kings in Saudi Arabia or, or to see princes in other countries. Um, and uh, so uh, the Filipino people are... are are really important in what God is doing today. And really important in this fellowship. Isn't that right? This has become a, 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 an international community. It's very exciting. People from Africa. Holly's uh, African background. Uh, she's uh, uh, biracial. Her dad was black. Her mom was white. And so this is all new to me because in my hometown in Picto, they had a sunset clause. Are you familiar with what that is? that anybody of color had to be out by sun, sundown. Isn't that crazy? My dad was a lawyer, as I mentioned. He was the one that had that taken off the books in terms of the town bylaws in the 60s. It's crazy. But that's what, you know, this systemic racism uh, that's rampant in Canada still is. It's sort of hidden away. But uh, this church is awesome. I love coming here. I love Bruce and Marlene because... Um, they're, they're, they're tremendous kingdom visionaries. And they're recognized as a mom and dad within this region. They're, they're really um, esteemed and cherished within, within this whole region. So it's always lovely uh, to come here and be part, part of you all. But coming back to the John G. Lake and this explosion kind of deal, is that he spoke about suddenlies. He spoke about explosions that would happen. There were fireballs that would actually appear in the meetings. Uh, they had to bring in special ushers because the people that were leading worship would begin to levitate. The power of God was so strong. He had gone to Africa after being in this community in Chicago for a while, and he was there for five years, planted 1,250 churches. And he said stuff was happening there that he couldn't tell anybody anything uh, about this because they just didn't have the... Um, it was just so far beyond their experience. I believe uh, in Africa and other countries too, there's tribal warfare. And I, I believe that uh, people's limbs were being lopped off with machetes. And Lake and his team saw people, uh, arms grow out. If you want an interesting read, um, this, is, this church is in the heritage of the classical Pentecostal uh, revival, that stream that began in 1906 in Azusa Street. 
And uh, there's uh, uh, a wonderful, you can just look it up on Google. It's called, They Told Us Their Stories. And it's 40 years after. These are children that were part of the revival from 1906 to 1910, approximately. And they were between the ages of 3 and 20. And uh, did you know that a lot of uh, revivals were really fueled by young people? I mean, the, the disciples around Jesus were, were young people. So when they get on fire, it's very exciting what happens. You, you look at the Huguenots in France. These were all teenagers, and they were uh, suppressed by the church. Uh, you look at the followers of our Lord. These men were not in their 30s and 40s. They were in their late teens and 20s. They were just young people. So young people are very important in God's economy and what he wants to do. So I believe that we're going to see explosions come out of Nova Scotia, and I think out of, out of this county. I believe that God is going to begin to release uh, new models of ministry that are accessible, uh, and it will come in very, very surprising places. Okay? Uh, for example, in Halifax, there's a church that sees more people saved each year than all of the other churches in the, in the whole city combined. Do you know what church that is? St. Benedict's Roman Catholic Church. Well, who would have thunk it? You know, that God would show up in a Roman Catholic church, but people are getting saved there hand over fist. They use the Alpha program. And last year, 43% of the people that got saved in that church through the Alpha program, they run uh, two to 300 a year, uh, people come in through the Alpha program. How many of you done Alpha? Are you familiar with that? Tremendous program. It's Anglican. Yay! Yay! <laughs> but uh, so they, they use uh, the Alpha program, and people come to faith through that. 43% of the people last year came out of unchurched backgrounds. So they're touching their culture. Isn't that amazing? It's not just church people that are being impacted. And those See, the problem with, with our tradition, my tradition, the Roman Catholic and Presbyterian and others, is that um, we're, we're a liturgical traditions. We have these forms of, of, that support us in our worship of God. And if you look at the Anglican Prayer Book, for example, it's all out of the Bible, but it, it can become empty. Uh, Pope John Paul II, he said, we have sacramentalized our people. We haven't evangelized them. They, they don't have a heart relationship, so they just go through the motions. And people think that's what you need to do. You just you need to come to church, go to Mass, and that's all that's required. And so this personal component is sort of left out of that. And so what God is doing is uh, reaffirming the importance of that personal relationship. And then through that, you want an experience on, on Friday morning, guys. Go around quarter to seven in the morning. And uh, from 7 until 8, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I just felt stirred. But in the basement of St. Benedict's, which is that huge, great big church on Dunbrack, going into Halifax, in the basement, that was $11 million they spent on that amalgamated three parishes. And uh, they had this men's gathering on Friday mornings from 7 until 8. And they, they're singing in the Spirit, they're praying in tongues, they're prophesying. I mean, I thought I was uh, in a Pentecostal church or in a charismatic something, but God just shows up there, and it's absolutely amazing. Now, Roman Catholics have some very interesting beliefs that are a bit different from the Protestants. That's where the rift came with Martin Luther, as you know, in 1517. He po posted 95 areas where he felt... Now, he was a Roman Catholic priest. Some people forget that, but he was concerned about his church. He was a biblical scholar, and, and he wrote down these points where he felt the church had drifted away. And that, sadly, in some regards, caused a split in the church. See, And in, in uh, 1054, uh, this is where the Eastern and the Western church separated, the Eastern Orthodox church. And so there have been major splits. So I'm, I wear a, a, a friend of mine's an archbishop in the, in the Orthodox tradition. This is a Russian Orthodox cross. It's a little bit different stylized from, from ours. I always wear this to let people know I'm at least I'm a little bit orthodox, you know. So, <laughs> very bad. It gets worse, trust me. <laughs> but um, God is doing work across the body of Christ. And, you know, the quirky thing that's happening is that Pentecostals have lost some of their distinctives. 
And I believe that they need to regain this because in the 20th century, uh, it was the Pentecostal movement that rediscovered this. And I'll, I'll be teaching about this. You know, for example, singing in the Spirit. I mean, that was done in the early church for a thousand years. I'll, I'll detail that a little bit more. But that was rediscovered. You know, when, 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 uh, when we're worshiping, la, 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 la. let's do that a little bit right now. Just, just to glorify. That was a thousand years in the, in the Western church before it split. And in the Eastern church, they still speak in tongues in many places. And at the end of when they have their communion, at the, it's called the great amen at the end. And they'll say, amen, and go off. And uh, uh, it was very common before. There, commonly in the church, if you're familiar with liturgical churches, um, you have an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, and then the gospel. And then before the gospel reading, there's what's called a gradual hymn or a song. But in the early church, they sang in the spirit for like 20 minutes. Okay? How cool, right? The early church fathers called that jubilation. It comes from the Latin jubilate, open my spirit and my soul to the Lord. So it's not that you guys are strange. Well, yes, you are strange. You know, we're called to be a peculiar people, but what, what has happened is that in the Spirit, you've recovered these ancient practices in the church. And so the church really today is the one, they're the ones that are oddballs, because in the early church, all of that was very present, the things of the Spirit. And I believe that that's one of the contributions that you folks can make as Pentecostal believers is to understand further and deeper the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives and be able to impart that to others and share that with others. And that was the basis of the charismatic renewal in the 60s and 70s. Some of you were, have been exposed to that, that it came, the Holy Spirit came into the, that was called the second wave of the Holy Spirit. And then John Wimber came along with the Vineyard Movement and began impacting evangelicals, Baptists and others, uh, that had an evangelical theology, but a charismatic practice. And that's called third wave. So there are various waves in the 20th century of the Holy Spirit operating. Are you tracking with me? So what we want to do this week uh, is, is look at these various gifts. In fact, it might be helpful, Bruce, if, there, if uh, I made up this um, outline. Uh, the first two pages are about who is the Holy Spirit. And then the next two pages are about the phenerosis gifts. These are the gifts, uh, are manifestation gifts, that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And there are nine mentioned there. I think there are others beyond that. I don't think it's an exhaustive list in that that's all there are. But the, how we approach this and what we've discovered is that the gift is the Holy Spirit. When you welcome Jesus into your life, his spirit comes and it becomes alive in us. And then he, he wants to get out and bless people. He wants to get out of me and bless you and jump on you, or, you know, that he would use me as this. In fact, that's what Acts says, Acts 1.8. These are the words of Jesus. He said, tarry in the city until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and will empower you to do what? To be my witnesses. That's the primary thing, is to share the gospel, to spread the gospel uh, with others. But the Holy Spirit operates in different ways. So in some circles, you have churches that will say, um, well, I have the gift of healing, or uh, I have the gift of, um, of wisdom. You know, and the, well, I say, no, yes, but no. That's what I say. Um, the gift that God gives you is the Holy Spirit, and he will manifest in different ways, in different situations. So he might use you, and Marlene might be used, uh, to pray for somebody for healing, and that and something really profound happens. Then the next time we get together, um, you know, somebody needs uh, a healing touch. Who do you look to? That lovely lady over here again, because God did something with her the last time. And then all of a sudden, Marlene prays, and nothing happens. But then somebody else feels his burden in their heart, and they pray, and the person's healed. 
And so when St. Jerome, are you familiar with the, um, uh, the Latin form, the Vulgate of the, of the Bible? He translated that way in the early church. And when he did that, he chose the word manifestation in the Latin is, is a word that means the festive hand of God or the dancing hand of God. So when we get together, he may touch you to bring a prophetic word. He may touch you to bring a healing. He may touch you to bring a word of wisdom. He may touch you to bring a prophetic word. You see, it's very creative. And he had to sort of land on different people in different ways. Remember I talked about the manifest presence of God, that he will do that? So the gift is the Holy Spirit. I use the term reductionism. It's a sort of a technical term. Actually, I read the theologian that had was using that word later, I thought, oh, rats, you know, it's already been invented. I thought I coined this term. But we tend to reduce the Holy Spirit. And uh, our ministry is called Pleroma International. Pleroma is the Greek word for fullness. Remember in Ephesians, it says, in Ephesians 3, it says that you may know the height and depth and breadth and length of God's love and be filled with the fullness of God. And that's the word Pleroma, that you might be filled with the fullness. See, I told you that... Never been satisfied with the status quo. How many of you understand the character of God fully? None of us do. It's an adventure. We discover uh, the, the wonders, the mercy, the beauty, the incredible nature of our Lord Jesus. And the Father. Many people in renewal today. The Toronto Blessing, that was part of the Vineyard Movement, but they had a component of inner healing. That was part of that was part of the, the norm in the... In the um, uh, in the vineyard movement, and uh, they began using restoring the foundations and Elijah house material. And the basis for healing is an encounter with the Father's love. And so that revival had the component of returning to the Father, knowing the Father, knowing that we're his children, knowing that we're cherished by him. And so people were encountering this. In fact, uh, during the charismatic renewal, there is a book written by Tom Smale. He was the head of what was known as the Fountain Trust in England. And this was an umbrella organization across denominations for all these uh, communities that were exploring the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but he wrote this book called The Forgotten Father because we get so obsessed with Jesus and, we get, and then they were into the Holy Spirit that they forgot the Father. So let me tell you a little bit about my story. When I grew up in Picto, I don't know anybody growing up that had a living relationship with Jesus. Okay? People went to church, but I began in junior high school to get hungry for God. I said, can you get to know him? Now, I was a convinced deist. Now, that, te that term means that you believe in God. Hindus believe in God. In fact, they believe in millions of gods. You know, uh, there's the ancient streams of Buddhism is, uh, uh, is atheistic, but there are some streams of Buddhism that... Uh, have theism as part of it, a belief in God, a creator. But so many uh, religious systems have a belief in God. They're, they're, they're deistic in that sense. So I was a good deist. I believed in God. In fact, I did a degree in chemistry and uh, uh, looking at uh, how the earth was formed. And it's, you know, people who assume that it's just the evolutionary process. That's crazy. You know, because the chances of these atoms coming together to form basic DNA, which is a very complex compound. I don't want to confuse you with all that. But I, I came to a realization that this just didn't happen randomly. There's just no way. Now, there is a process of, of things evolving. I mean, we evolve, you know, in the sense. But across species, no. Anyway, I won't go into that. Uh, but there, So there is a, a very strong, just out of our experience around creation. So I believed that there was a creator. But then in junior high school, I began to say, can you know this God personally? And so I began um, to uh, ask people. I went to three different youth groups, and nobody had any answers. That's why I say I don't know anybody in my hometown in Picto that... Um, that had a living relation with Jesus that could tell me about it. Now, I'm sure that there were some, but I didn't discover any. So when I went to university, I met Holly and other people that had this relationship with God. I mean, I listened to Holly pray, and she talked as if God was right in the room. Now, I grew up in the alien church, and I had a book. That's how we prayed, was using this book. 
But then she just prayed from the heart, like she was talking to this person. So how do you do that? And she talked about having a relationship with Jesus. And that's how I met Jesus. I knelt down in my room one night, and I said, Jesus, I thought you were like Santa Claus. You know, good for little kids, but then you said, grow out of that. You know, it's crazy stuff about God and, and about Jesus. But then I realized, no, you're alive. And I went and I invited him to come. And the words I used, I said, take the reins of my life. Just show me that, uh, you know, direct me in this. And I, was, I went back to church after that. And oh my goodness, I wept and wept and wept because I had gone through, I knew all the words, but it never touched my heart. I didn't have the personal relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, those of you who come out of liturgical backgrounds, you go back to your church uh, of where you grew up as a believer, all of the words are so powerful. And I just sat in the chair and I wept. I couldn't believe it. That was part of my call back then because I was burdened for those who were in liturgical churches but did not have a relationship with Jesus. So I, I went to uh, this particular seminary, but it was interesting because in a functional way, the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. They, they were afraid of the Holy Spirit. We didn't learn about the Holy Spirit. And, and when I went to my first parish, I fell flat on my face. I had this amazing business plan. I showed it to different people. Bruce would have been impressed with it, you know, because he has a mind like that. He just, you know, and it looked really good on paper, but it didn't work. It, it, was, it was just because it wasn't from God. You see, a lot of times we'll plan things out in our minds and say, God, will you bless this? That isn't the way it works. You need to know what God wants and follow his plan, you see. But this is where the church is dying in North America, I believe, is that we're program-centered. And we have these great programs that may have worked in a particular church, and then people begin to franchise it and say, well, let's do this and this and this, you know, saddleback. I'm not criticizing the material. You know, I, I mean, it's very biblical. But, you know, Rick Warren used that to build this church to 14,000. That's quite a success story in North America. But, you know, people will just say, well, if I use, you know, uh, purpose-driven church, um, you know, my church will, same thing will happen, you know. On some instances it did. But this is the whole thing in North America. We tend to franchise things and be program-based. I was really challenged as an Anglican, you know, with our prayer book, to, to look at what would it look like to have a spirit-led, spirit-directed service. Did you realize that you folks have a liturgy? that you have a, an order in your service? Uh, we witnessed it this morning. We had worship. Worship was great. You have some wonderful worship leaders. And then we went into announcements. We take up the offering. And then we you know, move into the message. There's an order like that. I'm, I'm not being critical. There's an order to everything you do. Okay? But sometimes churches get really rigidly into a particular uh, kind of uh, approach to things. And they get locked into that. And so it's hard for the Holy Spirit to break in. Did you know what the most threatening thing was in, in was I, when I was being trained for seminary? With the most scary experience in the, in the church as we were being trained? Two things. One was silence. You don't like silence in church. You always have to fill the silence. And the second thing, any interruptions. You know, how do you deal with that? Don't want interruptions. You want to be able to say the liturgy and do the liturgy without any interruptions. i got to tell you, I love interruptions. I love periods of silence. Because those are times that we can welcome the Holy Spirit. There's an African-American church, and it was a Baptist church. I'm not saying these illustrations of beat up Baptist or anybody else, but just happened to be Baptist. And this pastor, in the middle of the service, became overwhelmed because he was a really good pastor. He really loved the people. And he, and he realized there are people here that have really deep needs. And we just, you know, he, he would do a pastoral prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father. You know, and, and just, you know, go through the whole range of things and just, you know, and he said, there are people here that have real needs. And he said, I want you to put your hands up, those of you who are struggling with things right now. And he said, I want people around you to cluster and pray for you. 
bring you before the Lord and pray. They had a revival. It was amazing. And we just, you know, just, I call it cracking open the service, cracking open the liturgy, giving place for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that's what I live for. Now, in my tradition, it can be pretty quiet. Somebody may come up and do a reading, and they begin to tear up. And do you know what happens afterwards many times? I remember my first couple of parishes when that would happen. They come up and say, oh, Father John, I'm just so sorry. I, I, I was overcome. I said, that's good. That shows the Holy Spirit's working. And so when that happens now, I just say, look, our sister, our brother, has been really touched by this. This is a, an amazing passage of Scripture. Let's sort of dwell here for a minute. Let, let that seek into our spirits, all of us, you know, to, to be impacted that way. And so I look for opportunities like that to encounter God. As I said earlier, I can preach a thousand sermons, but if you have an encounter with God, that's way, way more profound and, and deeper than anything I could ever tell you. Does that make sense? Are you with me in that? So that's our hope through this week, is that we will have an encounter with the living God. And we will uh, see our lives touched and transformed. Now, I need to do a time check here, because uh, I'm used to preaching for at least three hours. So I uh, have a little bit more time. So how does this affect our lives? God began to really stir in our heart. One of the songs, I forget which one it was, talked about seeking the Lord's face, not so much his blessings. And I had a friend that says, I'm seeking God's face, not his hand. Now, that sounds very lofty, okay? But why not seek both? Why, why, why do we sort of... Now, it sounds really, well, frankly, religious, because we want to have that intimacy with God. I mean, that's a primary kind of thing that we want to encounter. But we want to encounter the Lord in all of his fullness. If he wants to bless us. Um, did you know that there's 6,000 promises in the scriptures? They're like these little uh, jewels, like you're mining. You know, Have any of you ever panned for gold in a stream? It's a very interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And that's what it is like reading the scripture. There's all these little jewels that that you, you can find in this. I want to tell you a story. This may inspire you to come back tonight. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was sort of the Billy Graham of the late 1800s. And uh, Spurgeon was known as the Dean of Preachers. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but he didn't see himself as a preacher. He saw himself as a prayer person. Uh, an American came over to visit him one time, and he gave him a tour of the, of the church and uh, went down into the basement, and the American said, you know, we're getting a little bit, you know, too much information here, you know, even going into the basement of this church. And uh, he came up and he said, this is the power room. And he thought that was like the furnace room. He opened it up, and there were 300 people praying in that room, okay? And uh, that was the power. He said, primarily I'm a minister of prayer, not a preacher. But we've lost that. You know, did you know that, Spurgeon used to have words of knowledge. You know, in the middle of his sermons, he would stop. There's a guy one time sitting up in the balcony, and he said, young man, you're a thief. You're a pickpocket, and you stole a flask. Now, it was very common in that day for, for men to have a flask of whiskey or whatever in their breast pocket. And uh, so this kid had stolen this flask. And he said, son, you've stolen this flask. Come down and lay it on the, on the platform and give your life to Christ right now. So this kid comes down, puts the plaster, gives his life to Christ. Uh, one biographer uh, said that Spurgeon healed more people in London than all the doctors and nurses combined. Now, I tell that often to Baptist folks because in evangelical circles in the 20th century, there was a, a belief called dispensationalism. Holly referred to that in the Brethren Church where they believed that the Holy Spirit was active in the early church, but when the Bible came into its final form in the late 4th century, that all of these things was like scaffolding. Okay, You build a building, and you put the scaffolding up to, to build the building, and when, when the building's there, you don't need the scaffolding anymore. So they saw that the signs and wonders were scaffolding. And so when the final form of the Bible came into place, didn't need the scaffolding anymore, so the signs and wonders stopped. In fact, St. Augustine said that. 
He's a famous doctor of the church, a famous early church leader. He said, we don't see any of that anymore. So I call that cessationism. Okay, it ceased. The technical term is dispensationalism, is that God worked in different dis dispensations, different eras, in different ways. So the early church had all these signs and wonders, and then it stopped. Well, they, they often quote Augustine, but in, the, in his later life, he recants. He says, people are healed. He said, we even have rumors of people raised from the dead. I have this book. It's about like that. Actually, I lent it to somebody. It's disappeared. But that's the hazard of lending books to people. But anyway, these are, are stories of 400 um, people raised from the dead through, throughout church history. And it's absolutely amazing. They're all documented. We have a friend in India. I'll talk to you more about him. Uh, but he planted 6,000 churches last year, based in New Delhi. And uh, I did his wedding. I officiated his wedding in 2008. And it's amazing what's happening there. They see an average of one person raised from the dead every year. People from Africa that are here, you, you need to know that there's every 10 days, there's a documented instance of people raised from the dead, okay, in Africa. Uh, I'm collecting stories. I, I have two very profound stories, one in, in Calgary, one in Halifax of, of people being raised from the dead that, and with the medical community around them and, and in the midst of the doctors working on them and pronouncing the person dead, they were raised from the dead. Talk about a freaky thing. But God's on the move today. And we really need to understand that. Uh, so uh, a lot of this is worldview. Okay, uh, Some of you are familiar with... Uh, it's a book called Bodily Healing and the Atonement. Um, he's a, a Greek scholar. He's Canadian and taught in the States. And Kenneth Hagin and uh, a Foursquare guy felt that book was so important, they republished it. Um, no, it wasn't Kenyon. Kenyon would quote him, but... <coughs> anyway, this is the basis of the, of the faith movement, is that healing is in the atonement and, and that... And uh, in the first chapter of that book, it says, of course, people are not raised from the dead anymore. And this is a book that talked about healing. And, and so everybody has you know, different... T.J. McCrossan is the fellow's name. It's a great book. He goes back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, for example. I think it's Isaiah 53, but it says, by his stripes you are healed. It's in the present tense in the, in the Hebrew. And then in Peter, it says, by his stripes, you were healed. He was quoting that, that passage from Isaiah. The idea is that, that Jesus, that there's healing in what Jesus has done for us. I think we need to look at things like that and struggle with that. Um, there was a whole movement uh, of people around D.L. Moody in the late 19th century that really taught about um, appropriating healing by faith, by trusting God, trusting in his promises. Now, that's been abused in the 20th century, but there is something to that. And every movement uh, where there's been healing, people begin to rediscover that there's power in the blood, that, that Jesus is at work uh, presently, uh, that his heart is for healing. And so um, I, I tend not to avoid this. By the way, the fellow that John G. Lake um, was impacted by was John Alexander Dowie. In the 1902, Dowie declared himself Elijah the Restorer. And he just fell off the end of the table. He did not finish well. Uh, it's like William Branham. In 19, you know, I know people that knew Branham and said up until 1965, William Branham was, was very solid, but then he fell off. Gordon Lindsay, who worked with them, testifies. He said, I know the day when Branham went south. You know, So... But I believe that a lot of these people that ended poorly uh, in their heyday, in their ministry, we can really learn things from them. And uh, so, um, and, and it's a humbling thing for me. You know, in Galatians 6, it says, you know, don't judge other people uh, and be harsh on people because you can be te tempted yourself and fall. We need to approach these things with, with humility in this. So, anyway, coming back. Uh, how does this affect our lifestyle? Well, um, God began to challenge me on some basic things like seeking his, his face, not his hand. And I thought, well, you can seek both. Okay. Um, then 
uh, I was doing some training for, we call them altar workers in our tradition, um, where we would have people in prayer teams at the end of the service, and anybody that wanted prayer could come up and, and, and receive prayer. And uh, in the middle of that, I felt the Lord speak to me and said, John, I don't want you praying for divine appointments anymore. That's weird. I mean, that was sort of a random thought. But I, I began to recognize God's voice. And I said, God, I know that's you. And I mean, I was doing something completely different. How many times has that happened to you? You're in the shower, or sitting on the toilet, <laughs> you know, and God starts speaking to you, you know, out of the blue. And uh, uh, that often happens with me. So I was off to the side just, you know, having them minister to one another. And the Lord started this dialogue with me, saying, I don't want you praying for divine appointments anymore. Well, I was giving him pushback. I said, Lord, what's wrong with that? You know, everybody prays for divine appointments. Even Baptists, I'm picking on them again. You know, but, uh, you know, everybody does. I thought that was a good thing, you know. And uh, uh, then the second time he said, I don't want you praying for divine appointments anymore. And I thought, I know that I'm a Facebook friend with the Roman Catholic guy that wrote the book, Divine Appointments. I mean, he's been promoting that in his tradition. And, and uh, I said, what's wrong with that? And the third time the Lord said, John, I don't want you praying for divine appointments. You are a divine appointment. That changed everything. Then I began to read the scriptures in John's gospel particularly, and it speaks in John's gospel where Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. I thought, well, that's rather strange. Isn't he God? And he said, I can do nothing on my own. Three different times he said. The first he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Okay? And then the second he said, I only do what I hear the Father saying. And then the third time he said, I only do what I understand the Father to have told me. So many days I began, I don't do this, I don't walk this out perfectly. You know, and Bruce sort of said that I walk in the Spirit. Well, I sort of stumble along in the Spirit. You know, uh, I, I, I've lost quite a bit of weight, but I, 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 I topped out at 340 pounds. And I had a friend that uh, would offer to take me for walks. And I'd say, no, we're not going for walks. I'm going for a waddle. You know, <laughs> and uh, But uh, that really began to get my attention to pray that prayer. I said, Lord, may, may I have an understanding of your ways. Remember in Psalm 103, it said that Moses understood God's ways. The people knew his deeds. Because I'd seen his deeds. And, I mean, I've had eyes open under my hands. I've seen amazing things happen. I'll share that with you. And that's part of all of our heritage, that we can, we can experience the goodness and the power of God work through us. And it's him. It's his Holy Spirit. But uh, I, I began to uh, pray like like most uh, said, Lord, can I understand your ways, your purposes? I want to be able to see with your eyes, see what you're doing. And so when we have a meeting like this, I'm, I'm sort of scanning the room and just sort of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Where are you at work? Who are you touching right now? You know, is there anything that you want to say to someone? Boy, I, if you start approaching life that way, when you go to a restaurant, it's very cool. I always, I pretend like I'm a, a gunslinger. Remember, they, they'd never sit with their back to anybody? And they'd scan the room because they didn't want anybody to come up behind them and shoot them. You know, I shot Jesse James. I may have come up behind him and shot him in the back of the head, you know, but, you know, I killed Jesse James, this famous guy. I mean, these, these guys had to be careful. Well, it's not because I'm paranoid. I want to watch what's happening in the room and sort of say, okay, God, what are you doing? And so every day becomes an adventure. And then when I get something, I might have a message for you. And the Lord just begins to give me his heart for you, you know. And then... Did you know that I'm a big chicken? How many of you are big chickens stepping out? Okay, I have a friend that does a three-second rule. Okay, or a three-strike uh, rule. His, the Lord has to nudge him three times before he does anything. But uh, what I do is I begin to pray for the person. I say, Lord, evidently you brought this person to my attention. Okay? And, uh, uh, and then I begin to pray. And many times the Lord will orchestrate. I don't have to push this to happen. He will orchestrate a connection with that person. In fact, sometimes the people come to me. And I thought, wow. And then I just share what God puts in my heart, and it's amazing. And uh, so I, I asked that I might see the way he sees. I might hear his voice, you know, that he would bless my ears. 
And so that every day is an adventure. See, the goal in our life is to become like Jesus. It's not to go to heaven. I mean, that's part of the collateral blessing, I call it. You've heard of collateral damage? Okay, part of the collateral blessing of being a Christian is that you get to go to heaven. You get to go to glory. But the goal in our life is to become like Jesus. Not just in character, that's the base of this, but also in the way that we live, that Jesus moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. He worked with God. He worked with the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in the early church. And that's what the charismatic renewal that I was part of, I was pastor of the church that birthed the charismatic renewal for 10 years, where Father Bennett was. Some of you may be familiar with Dennis Bennett. And uh, so I had a chance to travel around the world, and I'll be telling you stories. But if you get a hold of this, the fact that, did you know that you're a divine appointment? That, that when people run into you, when you go to school or wherever you happen to be at work or this or that or the other thing, um, you bring Jesus. How does that happen? Because he's inside you and is wanting to get out to bless people around you. So I love being in, 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 uh, in planes, traveling, because I have a captive audience for a few hours. And I just sort of sit there. And I, I don't have to perform. I just say, God, do you have anything you want to show me about this person next to me? And then he starts doing downloads. And the funniest lately, no, this was a while ago. I'll close with this. Um, there's a guy from New Brunswick. Uh, we happened to be on the same flight, sitting beside one another from Toronto to Vancouver. We were living in, on the West Coast at that time. And uh, um, I said, are you going to Vancouver? Or are you on a vacation? Or is that home? And he said, well, that's where I'm living now, but I'm actually from New Brunswick. And I said, oh, okay. You were on vacation back home in New Brunswick? He said, yeah. He said, my brother got married. He's an Anglican priest. And, and he said, and my dad's an Anglican priest. And I, I finished the sentence, and I said, and you want nothing to do with Anglicans, with the church. And he said, exactly. And I said, well, i got to tell you, God's got a sense of humor. I'm an Anglican priest. And God will orchestrate that. People wonder why Bill Bright, who's the founder of Campus Crusade, was so bold. Do you know why? Because he believed that we were in God's heart from the beginning of time, that nothing is random, that every conversation that we have is ordained by God. And so he would, he would say, God, what is your heart for this? And it wasn't like he was hitting people over the head with the Bible. He was very sensitive to walking in the love of God, but he saw every opportunity, every uh, encounter that he had uh, as something that was God-ordained. And the more that I lived my life, beginning saying, Lord, I want to see with your eyes, I want to hear with your ears, I want to understand uh, what your purposes are, so that I can be that divine appointment you've called me to be and be a blessing to those around me. And I have two or three a month that happens. Do you know what my prayer is? I want two or three a week, you know? Just amp it up a bit. But part of it's been learning about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so if you want to grab these, uh, we'll do a come to Jesus meeting. Come, come to the front as you leave the church. <laughs> but you can pick up a copy of that outline. And, and do some personal study about the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And, and learn about the phanerosis gifts. That's a good place to begin. That all of these gifts, all of the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests, are available to you and to me. And so every day is an adventure. Now, I said I was going to finish. Holly's going to get the last word. Yeah, you can bring them back because I, I may refer to them uh, through the week. Yeah. But I know there are some people here that aren't able to come to the meetings, so this will give you a practical basis. It's like a Bible study, the, the first two pages about who is the Holy Spirit, and then the last two pages are about what's known as the phanerosis or the manifestation gifts. And what I do is, is basically say, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this, Lord. Can you help me understand this and, and move in this? And you can't make it happen. It's just that you're available. But when the unction, the function comes, when the stirring of the Spirit comes, then you'll know how to respond. So we're thrilled to be with you today. I think that God wants to mobilize this community in a fresh way in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about a real controversial area tonight, the gift of tongues. 
Because for many people, that's a key, especially with Westerners, because that is a spiritual experience. And when you speak in tongues, it's the Holy Spirit doing that in you. And so there's um, this it can be a launching point for people to be able to hear better, to be able to see better, because the Holy Spirit's stirring and working in us, you see. And, and, uh, and that was the basis of the charismatic renewal. People that rediscovered the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the release of this gift in the believer's life. Does that mean you can be spirit-filled without tongues? I think so, because the Holy Spirit's in you. But like Dennis Bennett, who I mentioned earlier, he said, who's going to buy a pair of shoes with those tongues? Right? It comes with the deal. And so uh, uh, people would say, do you have to speak in tongues? And he, his response was, you get to. You know, He stated in the positive way, because what would happen is if you haven't been released yet, it took me several years to, to see that gift released in my life. I really pursued it, and, and I'll share some of the keys that some of you may have struggled with that and, and want to see that released in your life. And God willing, uh, those who are wanting to pursue that. But there's other gifts, you see. There's other ways the Spirit manifests. So let's stand, and I want to pray over you.